from time to time I hear that uh, I hear a, a question, why do we rise for the reading of God's Word? Well, it's just, uh, there's just something about posture, you know, if you're, if you're sitting down, you know, hmm, let's see what's in the Word type of thing. We want to honor the Word. We want to, it's, it's a, by our physical posture, we are acknowledging um, before God that His Word is holy and it is speaking to us, and we want, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a prayer request of, Lord, we're standing, we have the word in front of us, we want you to speak uh, to us uh, this morning. And so uh, we have come to John chapter 14, and we are in verse 16, verse 16. John chapter 4, verse 16. Why don't we uh, just start off with the first few words of verse 1, through which the rest of the chapter is interpreted. Can't understand the rest of the chapter if, you don't, if, if we don't read the first few verses, the first actually half a verse in the chapter, verse 1. This is Jesus speaking. Let not your heart be troubled. Why should our hearts not be troubled? Well, he answers in verse 16. I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you, meaning live with you, forever. Verse 17. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Skip down to verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will Keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him. Now, in parentheses, you can say, put in the person of the Holy Spirit, and make our home with him. Verse 26 But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this word. It was speaking to 11 of the apostles at the Last Supper, right before Jesus' crucifixion 2,000 years ago. But it was also spoken, and it is being spoken to this morning to us. We know that that is your intention, Lord. This word is for us. how we need you, Lord, and we love these promises. We love these promises that 
in the person of the Holy Spirit, you are with us. Guide us through this word about him. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. A few weeks ago, we spent time, quite a bit of time, in uh, John chapter 14, verse 12, where Jesus says to his disciples that though he's leaving, he's going, he's soon to be arrested, he will be crucified. He's going to be, he, he actually had told them, in the book of Luke we see, he had told them, I'm going to be arrested, crucified, and then after three days, I'm going to rise again. He told them that. And at the end of John chapter 13, says, he tells them, I'm leaving you. And, the, and, and, and in spite of all that, in verse 12, he says that they would be continuing the works that he did. And even more, that they would be doing greater works. Now, fast forward to, to today, the year 2018, the United States of America, any thinking Christian living today in this country would have reason to question that. How in the world are we going to do the works of Jesus in the environment that we are in? Never before... Has our country been so divided? Never before has the gap between the political right, should go like this, this is political right, and the political left been so great? Never before has the hatred between them been so intense? The two sides aren't even listening to one another. Both sides have shamefully dragged the precious name of Jesus Christ into their argument. Uh, so much so that you mention the name of Jesus and people think you're a member of a political party and they begin to hate when you mention the name of Jesus. That's where we're at. Jesus, what do, you, what do you mean saying in verse 12? It seems so crazy, so impossible. How could we ever continue to do your work? And you say even greater works when you're gone. Same thing in the area of truth today in the United States of America. We're in this place where we've never seen before, not even close, where there's so much disagreement about what is truth. Truth about God, truth about what is right and wrong, truth about sexuality, truth about marriage, truth about gender, truth about the value of life, whether life has any value at all, and children are being shot down in our schools. Doing greater works, Jesus. This just seems so unreal. It seems so out of touch with reality. So important that every follower of Jesus, every lover of Jesus, every Christian, 
be a student of history. And there's a lot of history you can learn in the Bible. But there's a lot of other history that's it's important that every student, every Christian rather, be a student of history. Because if they're a student of history, they'll understand that living in the place they were living right here in John chapter 14, the land of Palestine, once called Israel at one time, but it had been destroyed hundreds of years before. This area that they were living in, it was in the, in a, in the same situation as we we're in, but no, really, that's not correct. It was much, much worse. <laughs> it was a powder keg. Jesus was able to say things <clears throat> to his disciples like, anyone who follows me must take up his cross and follow me. He was able to say that, and they were able to understand that, take up their cross, because there was hundreds, there were actually thousands of crucifixions that took place on a regular basis. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those movies about Jesus. There's many out there. But the movies about Jesus, um, it, it's always fascinating to me how they portray Pilate, who's the Roman governor at this time. You know, he oversees Jesus' trial, one of his trials. And uh, they usually do a very good job. They may not be, I, I really don't like seeing Jesus because he never, in, in these movies, because he never looks like the Jesus that I think of. And I'm like, wait, what's, what's wrong with this, this guy? But they do a real good job, usually, every movie with the Roman governor, Pilate. He, he, he's, he's angry. And he is sharing with his uh, wife and others, you know, why, why was I sent to this, this, this place, this terrible place, this pit, this, this gr gruesome area where there's um, uh, you know, people um, fighting against people and riot after riot after riot after riot. That's what this place was like. You take the hatred that you see in the media today in the United States of America and you multiply it at times 10 and that's what it was like living then. If you don't believe me, let me take you, why don't you turn, we're gonna be in the book of Acts quite a bit this morning. Let, let me go to the book of Acts, go to chapter 21, and I just want to uh, give you just a picture of Jerusalem, which was a very common scene. Acts chapter 21, verse 30. Very common scene, what we're about to read about in Acts chapter 21. This is after Jesus had been resurrected and taken up to heaven. This is the Apostle Paul. He had come into uh, Jerusalem. He had not even said a word. He hadn't even said anything. He was just hanging out in the city. But there were some people in the city who hated him. 
and they stirred up the city, and it says in verse 30 of Acts chapter 21, all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, and they seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison, this is the Roman commander, that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Skip down to verse 35. It says of Paul, when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. This is what it was like. You can go back to John chapter uh, 14, but those, those caricatures, those characters in the Jesus movie of, of the Roman governor, and, and they were convinced they were pagans. And, and usually the Roman governor Pilate it, it says something about being cursed by the gods. Otherwise, why would I have ever been taken here? This place. And they often say things like this God forsaken place in these movies. And then, you know, he's red and fuming and uh, Italian looking guy. And, and, and that is what it was like. Now, just a little time after this, in the larger scheme of things, in, 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 in A.D. 70, a few decades later, the entire city would be flattened by the Romans. A million Jews dead, many others taken and sold into slavery, but the whole city is destroyed, and Jerusalem, uh, the, any Jews that remain living fled to other countries, and they were homeless for 2,000 years. That is how the political, emotional, spiritual, whatever you want to call it, environment was at this time. And, and, and Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled that I'm, that I'm leaving. And he says, You will continue the works that I'm doing. And, and they're, they're like, what are you, are you kidding me? <laughs> Why should our hearts not be troubled? The dominant theme of his response, what he talks about more than anything else in John chapters 14, 15, and 16, as he is talking to them about why they need not be troubled, is the person of the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 16, I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, verse 17, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Now who had been dwelling with them? Who had been living with them? Anybody, shout it out. Jesus had been living with them. 
he had been living with them, and that's what he means when he says in verse 17, he, the Holy Spirit, lives with you, and he will be in you. He will be in you. How we need the Holy Spirit in this wacky, crazy environment we live in in the United States of America. How we need the Holy Spirit. We do not have any chance of, of, of being fruitful or doing the works of Jesus. We do not have a prayer without the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. The power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to uh, talk to you just for a minute about this word, helper, in verse 16. Jesus says to them, don't let your heart be troubled. I'll pray to the Father. And this is meaning he's after he's gone and taken up to heaven, he's going to pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper. Helper. Some of your translations say comforter. Some of your translations may say advocate. Other translations say counselor. The word in the Greek is the word parakletos. I'm going to put that up on the project, projection screen now. Parakletos. This is the literal meaning called to one side or a believer's side. Called to your side. That is what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is Jesus who now is, he's at your side, but notice in verse 17, he says he, he, he dwells with you, but he will be in you. He will be in you. Now, so important that you understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. Now, we don't have enough time to uh, go through all of this in great detail, but Christians, those who believe in Jesus, who follow Jesus, who are lovers of Jesus, believe in the doctrine or the teaching of the Trinity. And it's, they believe that, we believe that, because it's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God is one. He is one. But it also teaches that he is one. It teaches the mystery that one in three persons, the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons. That's a mystery. Three but one. We cannot fully understand and, 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 and sort that out in our minds. It's one of those things where we understand that God is outside of time and space and, and we are little grains of sand and, and he's the one who, who, created the, who created the Sahara Desert and every single beach, every single grain of sand. There are certain things that we don't understand. We are told that the Holy Spirit is a person. He is never referred to in the Bible as it. He is a person. Always referred to as he and 
him, always referred to as he and him. This past week, uh, Billy Graham uh, passed away to be with the Lord. And uh, amazingly, even though I haven't picked up this book and read it in years and years and years, this, this book by Billy Graham was just sitting right underneath my chair, just sitting there. The name of the book, The Holy Spirit. <laughs> and, and Billy Graham, uh, it was just used by the Holy Spirit in a way that the world has never seen anyone be, be used ever, including Jesus. That's why Jesus says, you guys will perform greater works. That, what was he talking about? He was talking about people like Billy Graham. Remember when we talked about that concept, greater works, Jesus confined his ministry into this small little area about the size of New Jersey. When he referred to greater works, he's talking about this, this work that I'm doing is going to be expanded to the whole world. And, and, and so Billy Graham filled up stadiums in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, all over the world, every country of the world, every, anywhere that he went. And what was the reason? What was the formula for, for this quote-unquote success? It was the Holy Spirit. And he wrote a book on the Holy Spirit. And uh, he says this about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it starts off with Billy Graham emphasizing that the Holy Spirit is a person. It's so critical. I'll get to a little bit more to that in a second. But he goes uh, throughout the Bible and he, uh, he, he just goes through the different verses which establish without question that the Holy Spirit is a person. Not an it, not a force, force a person. Uh, first, he, he quotes, he, he says this, the Holy Spirit speaks. He, he quotes Revelation 2.7. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And it doesn't speak. He says, the Holy Spirit prays. Quoting Romans chapter 8, verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our prayer. He quotes John chapter 15, verse 26, saying that the Holy Spirit testifies, meaning it declares truth. It, 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 and, and John chapter 15, verse 26 says, the Holy Spirit declares witness of me or proves me to be true. Billy Graham continues, the Holy Spirit leads. Acts 8, 29, the Spirit said to the, uh, Philip, go up and join this chariot. And it doesn't lead. <laughs> the Holy Spirit commands. The Holy Spirit guides. The Holy Spirit appoints. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. It says in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, Peter confronts one of the early uh, Christians and says, and said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You can't lie to an it. You lie to a person. Billy Graham continues, the Holy Spirit can be insulted. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, 29, don't insult 
the spirit of grace. I'm quoting Hebrews 10, 29. We don't want to do that. We don't want to insult the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be blasphemed. Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. And the Holy Spirit can weep. And it doesn't weep. Do not cause the Holy Spirit of God to weep. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Or to grieve. The Holy Spirit is a person. So important. Now, you you may say, well, man, why are you getting all flustered about this, Pastor Steve? Let me put this on the projection screen. It's because of years and years uh, being a pastor, and by experience, um, I have learned, actually, it's... um, it's the, there you go. It's, it's after years of being a pastor, I see that a misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit, treating the Holy Spirit like a force or treating the Holy Spirit like an energy will leave Christians weak and feeble and they won't bear fruit and they will not do the works of Jesus they, because they cannot because they don't understand the Holy Spirit and they certainly don't do the greater works. Here's a question for you. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. This is a question for you. It's a question for me. Am I thinking, how much do I have of the Holy Spirit? Or or am I thinking, how much of the Holy Spirit have me? How much of the Holy Spirit has me. In other words, in other words, if you think that the Holy Spirit is somehow like this, this, this mystical power from God, there's always going to be a frustration in your heart. I just need more of that. I, how do I get more of that? But if you understand that the Holy Spirit is a person, if you understand and believe Jesus' words in, in John chapter 14, 17, uh, at, the, at the end where he says, the Holy Spirit dwells with you now, but he will be in you. You will understand that you shouldn't be asking, how do I get it? You should simply be asking, does he have all of me? Does the person of the Holy Spirit have all of me? Does he? And, and remember, this mystery, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's the equivalent of saying, does Jesus have more of me? But Jesus, the unique role of the second person of the Trinity is anytime in the Bible, Old Testament or New, where there's a physical manifestation of God, that's Jesus, the second person, God the Son, second person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is a person. And, and it's so critical that you understand that he's a person. Because he's a person, there, it's actually true and possible that you can have a dialogue and be led by, by God all day long. It's not just when the force is with you. That's not when it is. And you this arbitrary force, you never know whether it's the case. There's verses throughout the New Testament speaking of the Holy Spirit speaking. This, as Billy Graham had mentioned, the Holy Spirit guiding, the Holy Spirit leading. So, so that you actually, get, when you are getting dressed for church, You are actually bringing a person in the Godhead, the God of the universe, almighty God, into your dress, which is an important thing for me. I'm a guy, 
and I don't always know how to dress. Sorry, guys of the world, but I got four daughters and a wife, and man, have I left my home many times, and they look at me like, well, they're Boston blunt. That looks terrible, Dad. Go back to your closet. But you can actually, you can actually ask, okay, God, what am I supposed to be, what am I supposed to be wearing this morning? And, and, and feeling as you're maybe going to, to, to the church service and, and you're feeling very distracting, okay, Holy Spirit, I, I, I need you to do something about all these thoughts that are crowding my mind. I'm not going to be able to hear a word that the pastor says. Or, the, you, and, or you come in, uh, in, into a church service, or you're going to work, or you're at school, and the, you have four or five different choices of, uh, of who to talk to. Lord, who do you want me to be talking with now? It's, it's so important that you understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. Our Holy Spirit is a person who you have a relationship with, are you frustrated that you go to work at 9 a.m. and you leave at 5 p.m. and you think, man, I don't know that I've thought about God all day. Anyone ever been like that? I know I have many, many, many times. The more I understand that the Holy Spirit is a person, he, he, he is a person, he is a parakletos, he's been called to be beside me, but he's even with me. The more that I have, the more I have developed just an ongoing dialogue with the Lord all day. He's not a force, he's a person. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. And you, you may say, well, is there anywhere in the Bible where it uses the word Trinity? Uh, no, uh, there is not a place in the Bible where it uses the word Trinity, but there are many places where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are specifically distinguished from one another. Right before he was taken up to heaven, Matthew 28, Jesus said, verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, speaking to his disciples, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of an it. No. And of the Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How is it that Jesus is with you always? How is it? Why is that true? How do we know that from the Word of God? Because we know that the person of the Holy Spirit is alongside of us, Paracletos, and as Jesus says in verse 17 of John chapter 14, he's in us if we have made Jesus the King and Savior of our life by faith. At which point the Bible says that the Holy Spirit invades and takes over your life. You may not feel different at the moment you do that, but oh, it does over time. So now I want to go 
uh, back to uh, the book of Acts. I want to go back to the book of Acts where, where you see the fulfillment of the promise. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 16, I'll pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may live with you forever. You see the fulfillment of that in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. Once again, right before Jesus was taken up into heaven, it says in verse 4, these words, being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. That's what he was talking, the promise that he was talking about in John chapter 14. He said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, speaking there of John the Baptist, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you uh, at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has uh, put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me. That word witness, just think a signpost, a signpost to Jesus. You will become a signpost to Jesus. How? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will become a signpost, a witness to, uh, uh, to Jesus in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then in chapter 2, we see it actually happening. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord, meaning in agreement, in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house they were sitting. They were, they, then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were people all around the world who had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, and they spoke different kinds of languages, and it says that they were all amazed. Verse 7, it says, look, aren't these Galileans? How, how is it that we hear in each our own language in which we were born? And, and so uh, verse 12 says, they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? But others mock, saying, they are filled with new wine. And then verse 14 says, Peter, standing up with the eleven." raised his voice and said to them, men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed, meaning obey, my words. And he goes on and he declares the life, the 
the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Now, mind you, Peter, um, just a few days earlier, for, for, you know, after the crucifixion, here's the guy that he was hiding underneath beds and tables in Jerusalem, terrified of himself being crucified. But here he is in front of everyone, boldly declaring the word of God after what had happened, after he had been filled with the Holy Spirit. And verse 40 says this, with many words he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. That word perverse means twisted. Now, what do you think would happen if you went out on the streets of Boston and said, you got to be saved from this twisted generation? What do you think would happen in this in this in this this society that's so divided and there's so much hatred and there's so much acrimony and there's 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 so much so much insults, the mocking. Uh, if you went out in the streets and said, "By Jesus Christ, you need to be saved from this twisted generation," well, you may say. Well, well, that's crazy. I mean, they would probably go after me with fangs. No. Not when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Doesn't happen. We go out week after week after week from April to October on Saturday nights with our evangelism training. And we run into many people who know full well they are living in a twisted generation. And they're hungry to hear. But the key is the Holy Spirit. The key is the Holy Spirit. The one thing I notice with the different people that um, are, are, are going out, it's the ones that have this wonderful relationship with the Holy Spirit that come back and give a report. Oh yeah, we shared the gospel three different times tonight. Three different times? You're kidding me. Because every, every Saturday as I'm preparing for, for, for going out, I'm just thinking, why would a stranger in the city of Boston listen to another str- stranger person talk about Jesus? They do, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. What does it say after Peter had shared these words? Verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. This is in powder keg, Israel, Palestine. That's where this is taking place. We cannot expect to see the fruit of God in our lives without the filling of the Holy Spirit, without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, without the Holy Spirit coming upon us. Move uh, over to chapter 6 of the book of Acts. Chapter 6 of the book of Acts. Chapter 6 of the book of Acts says this. In verse 3, what had happened here is that they were appointing different men to take care of the distribution of food in the early church. And the apostles declared to the people, to the church, In verse 3, it says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the it, of the force. No! Filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom, 
whom we may appoint over this business. Now then go down to verse 8, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Um, but uh, it, it says that people were stirred up against him. They didn't like him. There was a lot of hatred and acrimony and people fighting and insulting at that time as well. Verse 12 says they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon Stephen. They seized him and they brought him to the council. And then at the beginning of chapter 7, the high priest, imagine he's talking to the senior most religious official in his religion, uh, the high priest, and the high, high priest says to Stephen, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, are these things so? Verse 2, and Stephen said, brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. Then he takes them through the history of Israel. And then in verse 51, please skip down to verse 51, he says this, filled with the Holy Spirit, he says this, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. That's the one thing you cannot do. That's the one thing our church cannot do. We cannot resist the Holy Spirit. We can't think, you know, all these, there's churches out there and I hear really weird things about the Holy Spirit. I, I, I don't want to be a part of that. Just give me the Bible. No, 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 no. You do not want to resist the Holy Spirit ever. That's what they did, the religious leaders uh, at the time did. And, and, and what is Stephen saying to them? You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed their teeth at him. Uh, and, it says, and then it says in verse 55, but Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He goes on and he's stoned there. He's stoned there, but filled with the Holy Spirit, he was able to speak right into this incredibly angry religious system. And the result of this was yet another widespread revival where, where thousands and thousands of people went out after this, after witnessing this, themselves filled with the Holy Spirit, and they saw the fruit of God in their lives, in the lives of the church. And the same thing happened throughout the, um, throughout the book of Acts. Turn with me to Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter four, uh, 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 13, um, it says in verse 2, this is when Paul, the apostle Paul, was sent out. They ministered to the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Spirit said, again, it's or forces don't speak. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them, they sent them out. Verse four, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and then they sailed to Cyprus. And so what happens next is they, they go out, 
They preach to a city um, called Pisidian Antioch, then go all the way down to verse 44, and it says, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. That's what happens when we don't resist the Holy Spirit when we don't resist them. Now, what happens here is they're kicked out of the city. And verse 45 says, when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed uh, uh, the things spoken by Paul. So they kicked him out. They kicked them out of the city. But look down in verse, verse 52. After being kicked out of the holy city, it says the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You see, this is the life that you want. You want it, you want it, you want it. I promise you. You want this life. It's the life filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me close uh, with this. Jesus again began the chapter, let not your hearts be troubled. What could possibly be more of a comfort than having Jesus himself with us, the person of the Holy Spirit, Jesus dwelling with us, in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit. In the King James Version, John chapter 14, verse 16, the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. And I will pray the Father, this is the King James Version, and he shall give you another Comforter that he may, be, may abide with you forever. It is such a comfort, brothers and sisters, when you realize that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. I want to call the worship team up at this time. And I want to, I want to close with, 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 with this. One of the reasons the Holy Spirit is a comfort is that he brings to life the Word of God. You know, we can, we can believe facts about Jesus. We can even believe them intellectually, but they have no life in us. I think of the, the, the book of John, um, the same book we're in, uh, chapter 20. He has resurrected from the dead He's talking to his disciples and his disciples are just amazed in his presence. He leaves and then the apostle Thomas shows up who had not been there. And, and, and they, the, the disciples tell Thomas, Jesus was here. Jesus was here. And Thomas says in verse 25 of John 20, unless I see in Unless I see Jesus' hands, the print of his nails, and put my finger into the point of the nails, and put my hand into his size, I'm not going to believe. And what happened? Eight days later, Jesus showed up when Thomas was there. And he says, peace to you. Then he turns to Thomas. And he said, Thomas, reach your finger here, and look at my hands and, and put, your, put your hands on my hands and put your hands into my side and stop, stop your unbelief. And then he goes on to say, you guys have seen, but blessed are, is he, blessed is she 
who believes and has not seen. The Holy Spirit will do a work. He will bring to Jesus. He will bring Jesus to life in such a way that you are able to put your hand in his side, in his wound, in his fingers, and his hand. And somehow you will be able to taste the reality of his pain and the agony that he went through for you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's not touching a physical hand, but it is somehow, by operation of the Holy Spirit, bringing Jesus from just words on the page to actual life where you're able to serve him, where, the, where, where you're able to go out. I want the worship team to begin. And if you all could just, uh, uh, Greg and, and uh, Danielle, just start off with in- instrumental. Some of you with a Catholic background may be used to this. If you don't have a Catholic background, maybe you're not. But uh, I just want to be real serious with the Lord this morning. I'd like to kneel. And just back up on your seat. You don't have to. But I want to get real with the Lord, and I want I want us all together kneeling, if you're willing, to cry out to God of our need for the Holy Spirit. I want to do that together. Recognizing and believing Jesus' words in Luke chapter 11 where he says this. He says, you know, if you ask, if you who are fathers ask for an egg, am I going to give you a rock? No. Would a father do that? If he asks for, uh, for bread, is he going to give his son anything other than bread? No, of course not. How much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Calvary Chapel in the city. I want to resist the Holy Spirit. I want to acknowledge our need for the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask Him, we want to ask Him to come into our lives. So as the worship team plays, if you'd like to join me on... Uh, on your knees, on our knees, please do. I, I just want to get serious with the Lord.